right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of The Trap. I am your host, Derek Bonecrusher Dennis, in the building, joined by my esteemed co-host, Brandon Labatt B. What's going on this week, brother? Not too much, Bonecrusher. Not too much at all, man. It's been, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, been uh, doing a little bit of work, actually. Been having a few later nights, so it's uh, okay. recording this a little later than usual, but uh, it's all yeah, good. good, man. We'll uh, we'll get back into it and, uh, and talk. What kind of work you doing? Out on the farm, doing a little machine. Oh, yeah. Operating. Yeah. Being yeah. a Sasky boy. Yeah, it's harvest time, so been helping out doing a little bit of that. Oh, nice, nice. Is it is with is it with Ben Heenan like Dan was doing, or or somebody else? Yeah, it's with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, nice, uh, yeah, he's not too too far away. It doesn't seem like so. I don't have to see a single stop later uh, traffic right. light to get over to his place. So it's nice. Okay, cool, Real man. Nice. Cool, man. Cool. Well, we got a lot yeah. to talk about this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a very eventful week for a lot of people, myself included. Um, kind of put myself in a hot seat a little bit. You're a big personality. That's always been you, Deep. So, <laughs> I mean, for you to to uh, express yourself in the way you're feeling, I mean, and honestly, that wasn't even the one. Uh, the one that I was... I had seen that, uh, you know, I thought it was like when you were saying that there'd be a lot of teams calling you and uh, all that based on the other tackle play. I was like, guys, they're like, yeah, call out the quarterback, whatever. But I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's some some play in the trenches there that we got to look at. I mean, too. And I'd be uh, curious to see what you'd be thinking of some of these younger tackles out on the edges, because obviously based on some of the tweets i think that uh you know obviously and there'd be veteran tackles that you would go in and play over you know but you've got to be looking at some teams particularly when you're uh tweeting that and kind of have a few in mind i'd be curious to know uh based (laughs) off uh what you're looking at there like who what what kind of situations or who particular what what left tackles right now have you seen kind of struggling through the first two weeks so I'm, I'm not even going to base it just off left tackles. I'm going to go off tackles in general, okay? Okay. And if you've been looking at performances across the league and looking how the first two weeks has played out, let's start with the 0-2 teams, okay? The teams who are struggling right now. You got Edmonton, you got Calgary, you have Hamilton. Hamilton, Edmonton, uh, Calgary, the tackles are not – and I mean, this is no slight because I, I feel bad saying this because you you can't be Williams. That's my dog. I think he's a he's a hell of a football player. Don't get me wrong. He's a hell of a football player. Guy's very versatile. Um, You know, he's been playing center. He's been playing tack, right tackle. He's playing left tackle. The guy's very versatile. My thing is, from watching, it's kind of like with Calgary, you could tell like the veteran guys, they seem to be dealing with nagging injuries it looks like right like guys don't look like they feel as if they would like a normal year um it's looking like you know guys is like it's first two weeks of the season is kind of looking like it's already like week seven week eight week nine you know like the, the point when your bones get real tough and it's like the games are, are really you know really tough to push through and then you kind of push through them and hit your second win right so i, I don't expect guys to be looking bad as we go in into the part of the season, right? Because it's still early. It's only two weeks. Guys are still fresh off of sitting on their butts for two years. I get it. But just looking off of the first two weeks and looking at the play, I feel like 
if you're a team and you're looking at having a 14 game season, you're 12 games left, right? It's only six playoff spots. From from what from what I see online, they're not going to do the eight teams in the playoffs. They're still going to keep it at six, right? So if they keep it at six, and you're only playing 14 games, if you're a team that has like Hamilton, like Calgary, like Edmonton, who has Grey Cup hopes, you're going to try to fix your problems immediately, right? Because games have a lot more ports, especially in the West Division. I feel like Hamilton might be able to still squeak into the playoffs um, as a top three teams, especially two, because two of the 0-2 teams are in the West, right? Mm-hmm. So all they got to do is, if they essentially finish better than Edmonton or Calgary, then, you know, they still got a shot to make the playoffs, right? Um, is it the West or the East Division that got five teams? It's the East, right? Or is it the West? It's the West. It's the West, right? Okay, yeah. so you're looking at right now at the West, you're looking at Winnipeg at the top, you're looking at BC right now. No, Sask, Sask in Sask, second place. Sask, yeah. And then BC. All right. So those are the top three teams right now in the West. Then you got Edmonton and Calgary. In the East, you got Montreal. You got Ottawa. Well, Montreal and Ottawa's tied. They're both one and oh. And then you got Toronto one and one, who's in third. Hamilton's 0 oh and two. Okay. I feel like 0 oh and two, Hamilton, they still got a shot. Especially if they all they got to do is beat Toronto. They got to beat Ottawa. They got to beat Montreal. They, they still got a chance to, to have their division in front of them. They only got three teams that they got to compete with. If they can squeeze out a, a, a game in the West, I think I think the only teams left that they have to play is um, where they got to play Calgary um, and they got to play uh, Edmonton. So those are games that right now it's looking like they could be winnable, right, if, if they figured it out. So, But just looking at the offensive line picture, um, Hamilton's offensive line is – Flat out terrible. And I know this is the show where we want to highlight linemen and we don't want to we don't want to rag, but you got to call a spade a spade, right? I can't give you props if you're not deserving of it. And that's just what it is. I'm just trying to be real. I'm not trying to be fake. I'm not trying to just give some cookie cutter answers. Like at the end of the day, we want to be real, right? We want to give true assessments. We want to see, we want to talk about what we're seeing. And it's not saying guys can't get better from week to week, but from right now, what I'm seeing, whoever it is they got playing left tackle in Hamilton, it's just not. Just not doing it, right? And then right tackle, you got Van Zyl, who's pretty much been dealing with an injury. Um, he kind of re-injured it again in the second game and came out. And then when he when uh the young Canadian kid that started the first game went in, it was yeah. I'm talking about Yam City. He was giving up the yams, <laughs> baby. <laughs> so <laughs> And Mac, like last week, uh, Mac Henry, you know, inside the, the Saskatchewan D tackle, he was having a game against the, the guys inside. And that was surprising because I look at on paper and I consider that to be a, a pretty good interior O-line over there. So to see them them guys kind of struggling out the gate, I mean, I guess they did move Sorok uh, uh, over to, to center there and they got the yeah. know, the younger, the, the new right guard there, Gibbons, but uh yeah, yeah, I think I think Mike Fowler tapping out on him is was was a big loss. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if that was a tap out or a, kind of a, a force out. Well, I mean, I don't want to say I don't. Yeah, I don't know the reason you know, why. I don't want to say it's a yeah, tap out. But. Yeah, I'm not sure what the uh, the reason there is, but they haven't really adjusted well. You know, when you look at everything, no. and it was just like what we we put out there. You know, last week when we talked and we said, you know. We might get to see Dane Evans because we've seen that a few times where Saskatchewan can just do that to the teams in offenses where it's going so bad that you just start throwing, you know, and now 
I don't know if you call it a quarterback controversy, but you know, the, the window or the door has at least been open for, for Dan right. Evans and, you know, to start to, to play over Mazzoli there. So it's, uh, it's crazy, man. What's, uh, what's kind of gone up on over there in Hamilton, nothing like what I expected, but it's, uh, you know, even week one, when we think back to what, the, when they were in Edmonton and I think some of the TSN shots, they had the, the ISO cam on some of them guys and the body language looked bad on offense from them guys, you know, that's, yeah. that, that was Absolutely. the surprising part, you know, for a team that's got so much firepower to be, you know, it, it almost looks like they're, they're, yes. they're not really believing in the juice that they got right over there. Right. No. Now. So it's, uh, yeah, they're definitely a team that's, uh, you know, offensively not performing and it, it definitely starts up front there. So, I mean, it, but it's everybody, you know, the receivers just don't look right. They're, you know, the quarterbacks is messed up. So it's just the, the whole offense looks out of sync out there. So yeah. I don't well, know. I know, I think I got an idea of what Edmonton's problem is. And I think it's more of a, what you've always seen from Trevor and Elizondo relationship. They can rack up yards all day. Because they'll, they'll, you know, short pass, you know, check downs. They'll come up with the concept. Between the tens, they're pretty. It's pretty. They're pretty good with moving the ball. But when they get to the red zone, it is flat out disgusting. Like Trevor Harris fumbled a short yardage, a third and one. How do you fumble a short yardage third and one? You know, as a lineman, you know how deflating that is. When you're quarterback, you you feel like oh, that's the easiest play in the CFL. That's a guaranteed first down with the line of scrimmage being a yard off the ball. Guaranteed first down. Uh, there's no such thing as a guarantee. I've been a part of too many O-lines that you know, you're right. have been, been stuck there. Or, you know, is that still an early in the year deal where – I mean, for me, it's guaranteed. You, you, you know you're never getting – you're never taking that live rep ever in any sort of training. No, not in practice. And so they're just going to, you're going to do your little fire off, get off there. You can get the set hut and snap the ball up. Never have you ever been hit at or even had to worry about getting hit at in there, you know? So is that the first, second, third time we've seen, uh, you know, him take the, the short yardage there? You know, I'm not giving the guy the excuse, but I'm just saying if we're going to look at anything with the no preseason, and we're going to look at the extended layoff. It might not be so much the, the passing the ball as it is these, you know, the plays that only come up once, maybe twice a game type deal, you know, and is that possibly why, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, fumbling on short yardage, it's, it's bad, but I mean, it, it, it happens, you know, there's been a lot of quarterbacks that, you know, fumbled. The yeah, but most teams have a short yardage quarterback, not the yeah. starters doing it. I, I mean, yeah. BC is the only team I've ever seen have Mike Riley do short yardage, and that's just yeah. That's just what Mike Riley's that. done. Especially with, like, the way Big Hill – because Big Hill, in my opinion, is the best middle linebacker there is when it comes to the short yardage. And he gets a free lick on the quarterback every single time he does it. Yeah, he, he jumps right over. Just, oh, yeah, he just spies it and comes over and just lays a smack on the quarterback. And a lot of times it's enough to, you know, stop his momentum and, you know, put an end to the, the surge. So yeah, be – uh, but they, I mean, it should be, but I, last year, man, or my last year playing 2019, we lost the West final because we didn't get, we had chances, several chances on the yeah. one yard line. Didn't get yeah. it in. You know, I've been in Winnipeg back in the day and we had three chances on the one yard line. Didn't get it in, you know? So it's like, and then I, we weren't the only team I can think back to 2019 and there was other teams, you know, that went 
three and they might even defense gives you a free penalty and you get five or six chances. And sometimes you just can't sneak that thing in there, you know, like right, right. it gets logged up in there and then you go for the, the handoff in the backfield or something goes astray and it just, you know, now you're dealing with extra yards. So it's, it's not completely crazy not to get it. I know everybody loves to think it is, but it's like, if you want to make it routine, I mean, when you guys were in Calgary, how many times did you guys just hand that shit off right up the middle or just do the sneak right up the middle? Not a whole damn lot. You guys worked a lot more. No, outside. no, because like, we had how many we had times big did you guys running get backs. off on the edges, you know? Like, or even when you guys would, would sneak, you know, I'm thinking back well, Buckley, to like, I mean, Buckley, Buckley did it a few he times. would get out on the edge and he would like rumble. He would run know? for like 60 yards. <laughs> yeah, but several times, you know, like, and it was just like you guys uh, get out on the edge, you know, like it's not just Definitely. a cram it up into the middle yeah. anymore when you got four big interior linemen inside your tackles, you know, crammed into them A gaps and B gaps. So I don't right. know, man. I, I I think it comes down to partial selection. I mean, anytime when there's a trouble with the exchange, I mean, the, the OC is going to freak his shit and the O-line coach is going to be on the center and everybody's going to be, you know, feeling it. But I mean, that shit happens, you know? So it's like once I, it does. I shock it up to, to a fluke, you know, one time, not to fumble it though. It wasn't the line. It was like the line got still made it. He fumbled the ball. Yeah. So that's a different story. Now I get what you're saying. And now for me, I'm a little biased when it comes to short yardage because even though I hated the play, I was a master at it. I've never lost a short yardage rep. Like never in my life. I don't think I can't. No, I've never lost a short yardage rep because my mentality is I hated it so much that I I wanted to do it right. So I didn't have to do it again. You know that old age old yeah. adage, do it right, do it light. It was like a, you know what? I'm finna come humming off this hoe and I'm lighting everything up and I'm gonna open up a pathway. We're gonna get this first down and then that's it. I don't have to do it again until we get back to the situation, hopefully five, six plays from now. So that was always my mentality. And plus two, like I'm a I consider myself a road grader. Like I'm a I'm 2017 in the playoff game in Ottawa. I broke Jake Serezna's leg. In short yardage, yeah, you snap that thing in half. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Oh, like that's me crushing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's me. Like when I get into short yardage, it's 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 hammer time, baby. I'm I'm going yeah. to work. But Man, you know, one guy I would love to see you fucking lock up against who you you and Drake Nevis. Oh, Drake is light work. I did it with. Listen, me and Drake was in Carolina in 2000 and um. In 2014 together, we was what we was on the Panthers, and we There's used to practice. Nothing, getting... nothing light about going against that. No, it's nothing light about Drake. But again, too, you got to remember, I'm like 340, 350 something pounds, depending upon yeah. what I ate that week. So, like, I'm not a light yeah. dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a solid as a rock. You know what I'm saying, baby? That's, that's me. So. <laughs> For me, I, I feel like I naturally just this is just my mentality. I feel like the only person I feel like is strong enough to to go one on one with me and show yardage is Mondo. And that's one because Mondo's short. So like mm. it's it's hard to get up under Mondo because he's already low to the ground. So I know whenever I go against him, I gotta get like I gotta like literally put my leg, my I mean my head like between his legs and try to like drill up. I mean to, to get him out of there because it is yeah. like it is he's and, and everyone he's a dub he's a dub in short yardage. Oh, 
absolutely. And yeah, he's a, a while, when you go to do that, he'll do that little <laughs> jump. He'll just jump right he'll over top jump. you. You know, hey, you so it's like, <laughs> yeah, but you can see it though. If you watch yeah. enough film, you can tell when yeah. he's going to do it. Yeah, you but, can, but he, he's got to be yeah. keying that off of how low yeah. we're putting our mass down to the ground, too. So. Right, right. But he'll switch it up though. First couple of times he'll go low and then he'll make you think like, okay, I want him to think I'm going low and then he's going to try to go over the top and do it. So you just gotta, you just gotta be, you know, kind of tell. And then with his stances though, he always gives it away. If you watch film, like you can say, okay, yeah. look, yeah, that toe is a little extra dug in. He's, his, his butt is a little higher in the air. He's, he's about to, he's about to leap. You know what I'm saying? Like it was always a dead giveaway, but um, yeah. So that was, that was like, that's, that's my thing with the short yardage stuff. But Going back to the original topic and just talking about Edmonton and their offense, I feel like how teams have been being successful, what Ottawa was successful at, I think what Montreal did a good job was that they were sending those, those um, you know, corner blitzes, those Cobras, those, um, you know, safety coming down the middle. Um, you know, we used to call them pythons, snakes, you know, all those types of blitzes. Those was the blitzes that was getting home to Trevor and he was getting hit because they wasn't in the right protections to pick him up. If you're in a six man pro and they're sending seven, well, somebody's coming free, right? Where's who, what the lineman's responsibility is it take to like, uh, what rule is it for? Like in Calgary, we used to have what we call was um, uh, like, we used to call them uh, cloud, cloud rules. So it was, um, the cloud was basically the secondary, you know, shift, you know, you. So we used to always have the co- rules to compensate for if they brought an extra man that we just wasn't prepared for. And it was yeah. always like, you know, if you was a five man pro, it was a tackle's job to figure that out. Right. If you're a six yeah. man pro, it's everybody's job. You got, you know, certain line calls and stuff to kind of pick it up. Right. That's not what I'm seeing from Edmonton. And they're not running any bomber pros or Haas pros. Like, you know, this is the CFL. You're going to need seven, seven man protections in your scheme, man, because you're going to go against blitzes that you need to be able to know, like, okay, this look, they're coming with a seven man blitz. They're coming with a Cobra. They're coming with a, with a snake. They're coming with a Python. They're coming with a, you know, um, you know, I forgot the name of the blitzes, but you know, when the wheel goes high and then they bring it in the half back in the corner and, you know, yeah, like Ty, you can see that stuff. Ty yeah. Ty, yeah. Yeah. Ty, yeah. Ty strong, tie weak, those type of blitzes, right? You're going to face those in the CFL. So if you're just purely trying to go off of, you got all these receiver weapons, but none of them are doing, you know, hoss protections. You're not, you're not calling them because you want to get those guys out in, in running routes. Well, then you're not going to have too much success in the CFL because you need to have those type of pros in your protection. Like, in Calgary, we always had checks. So if we knew, okay, if we saw this defensive front, we knew what blitzes was coming out of this front. Okay, well, what plays do we have to go against this front in particular? We knew, okay, we call this play. All right, make sure you put it in. So if we say this check and we see this blitz that we're not ready for, this defense, then okay, this check means we're going to that pro, right? So now bring in the guy. We set it up, boom, they run the blitz, we pick it up, bing bong, so who would do play, that? touchdown, that, right? When you when you guys were in Calgary, would Bo signal that and he would check the pros and bring in extra guys and he'd be overseeing all that? Yeah, so we had cohorts. So it's kind of like, you know, when I was in New England with the Patriots, that's how it was with their offense. That's why it was so tough because with them, they had one cohort and it had five different meanings depending upon formation and personnel, right? So it wasn't that intricate in Calgary. Okay. It was more about um, we uh, if we if we had you no know, eleven personnel 
or 11 personnel in there, or if we had 10 personnel, you know, where it was, um, you know, we had, you know, more receivers and, and running back out, running back out wide or, you know, motions, whatever it is. Right. So, yeah. um, always with us, if we had three by one, we had three by one formations, then we always had checks for, if we were to get exotic, exotic blitz, it would be like, okay, check it. Bo would, Bo would say the code word. When we heard the code word, we know we were checking to that play. And then that just meant, okay, move the running back over to this side, bring the receiver in. Now we're in a seven-man pro. You know, we make our calls. We know how to, you know, what in Calgary we had we had line signals. So okay. whenever we would make line signals, it was kind of like a telling the quarterback, okay, this is who we have. So you guys know who you have, type of thing. So it was never yeah. no confusion. Yeah. So that's that's how we communicated yeah, on the field in Calgary. Yeah, that's interesting. I've been a part of a few guys' systems, and we've always been able to kind of pick it up because it all starts with the free safety, you know, and if he's to the field and you expect something coming over there, right? He's kind of it all on the hash when you're into the boundary. If he's at all on the hash, you know, then you got to be more alert for the halfback coming or something coming in in from the boundary. So that was always kind of the thing. But I always thought that we were one of the few teams, and probably Dan being one of the few centers in the league right now, Dan Clark that. Uh, he'll repoint, you know, he's got up until probably the, the second color number in the cadence. So blue 80, blue 80, he's got up until that point in whatever he sees to, to adjust the protection as he sees fit, you know? So there, I know that there were some checks where receivers running backs have to pass some stuff off. Cause there's sometimes where you don't want to, you know, cross mm -hmm. in front of the right. quarterback or whatever they might have their, their reasons or rationale for, but you know, we always, uh, through game prep but then i know dan and i always wondered is there any is this expected out of any other center in the league you know other than the saskatchewan rough rider guys you know because we'd have to always constantly be trying to adjust the the pointed linebacker you know if you were in say you were off left hash and you were in a 60 pro and you were setting it to the mike linebacker you know going towards the field with a rock potentially on a four-man slide, and then you get a safety rolling down into the boundary, you know, and they might bring a, a will and a half or a half and a corner or whatever combination they're going to work while they're putting two to the same side as the back, you know, so that's where right. the line has to be able to, to repoint that and pick that up, and the only way you can do that is if you read the safety and you got to be able to kind of it, it gets so much easier and it's almost kind of like reading a book once you get to the point where you can kind of read and follow it along and you're like oh we, this is coming you know and then you never really get the guy's best pass rush move in a blitz situation you know so no. you can recognize them blitzes if they don't get you by confusing you or you know that's, that's an easy free play and it is as soon as you recognize it it's like the play is over you can just look at the guy and he'll stop in front of you you know nine times out of ten so it's uh you know, that was always the biggest thing I always thought from centers, you know, watching other teams in the league. I didn't see that so much. So when you're talking about your Calgary days and how Bo would kind of, you know, help you guys all get on the same page and you guys were checking specific plays to certain looks, you know, and now it makes sense why, you know, a little hitch passes all of a sudden going for 60 yards or something, you know, it's just right. Just a simple numbers game you guys were playing. That's all it is. And checking the whole thing, you know, like we, we, I always felt like maybe we were only just doing one half of the puzzle here if we're just checking the protection, you know, but we're still trying to get the ball off into, you know, contested 
coverage more or less where you guys were just finding the the open area and just adjusting everything on offense to get the into that open area you know so that's that's essentially that's that's, that's, that's why we were always so good we're working double as hard up front trying to get these last second you know calls and communications in but we're still not reaping the reward of you know getting the the ball into open space so that's that's interesting to me. It really is to hear that for the first time. That's how you guys did things in uh, Calgary. Cause then I, yeah. from an outsider, that's how it's got to be the whole offense, all 11 have to know. And we adjust together, you know, and you get right. five, maybe six, seven guys involved in quarterbacks so or eight guys involved at most. But I think you can, you want to be able to adjust the whole play to, to capitalize on what that defense is giving you. So that's, that's cool, man. That's there's a reason why you guys are successful out there, you know, and that's why I was I keep going back to like that 2016 team every time I want to talk to you about Calgary, you know, when you guys were just absolutely yeah. rolling. It's like that was probably as good as an offense I've seen in the league. So, you know, that's that's why yeah. I like talking about that one and going back and, and touching on that. And, <laughs> you know, now it, yeah, it makes I mean, sense. That's... You know, we're getting the the explanation on why it worked as well why it worked right yeah well that's why i always love playing with pat because pat was one of those offensive line coaches where he didn't just teach the offensive line pitcher he taught us the whole pitcher so i knew how to block certain plays because i knew what routes the receivers were running so i knew what windows the quarterback was looking for so i knew i can manipulate a defensive player to going exactly where I wanted him to go. Because even if he thinks, okay, I got him beat. No, I want you to run outside and I'm going to push your hip because you just opened the window for the quarterback to get it out of his hand. So I don't have to block you forever. So that's, that's, that's the part of being a very, a good lineman that I feel like a lot of guys are not, they're not thinking two on one football. They're thinking one-on-one they're thinking, okay, I got my man. Let me see how to, you know, let me focus on beating my man and they're not playing within the scheme. I think that's what always separated me from certain guys was that I would play within the scheme, but I knew how to how to play excellent within the scheme. Like I knew how to manipulate it to where it works in my favor so that I was never having to deal with too much chaos. And I always took it upon myself to learn every position on the offensive line. So I didn't just want to know what the left tackle was doing. I wanted to know what the left guard was doing. I wanted to know what the center was doing. I wanted to know what the right guard was doing, the right with the right tackles, because if I know what everybody else is doing, then when I get into a situation where maybe, you know, I, I have a brain fart and I forget exactly what it is I'm supposed to do, well, it's like, okay, wait, I know what they're doing or what they're doing. So clearly there's only one person left <laughs> for me to go to. So I know where to go, right? So that's yeah. that's the type of stuff that I used to do, um, how we used to get prepared in Calgary was that we knew, okay, we had signals, we had cohorts for everything, runs, passes, if we were running, you know, RPOs and I had to read, you know, I had to read too. I had to read the backer at the end. Well, and I knew if they gave me certain looks, so if I could read the backer's alignment or whatever, then I could, you know, I could give a little hand motion to the quarterback and let them know, hey, the DN's about to crash, hand this, hand this off, or type of thing. Or, hey, the, you know, the DN's about to drop and the, and the backer's about to come. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, just be able to kind of play around and let them know how I'm reading it, right? So the hand signals, you know what I'm saying? Certain stuff like yeah. You know, yeah, tapping that, your I calf muscle or something. Yeah, you know? to the average person, that probably they would never ever think. They had no clue. Up, you know, but <laughs> you see a, a a tackle who you know he might just give the, the squeeze his hand or something. You know, in his stance, right. or maybe he's just doing a little finger 
click or who knows what he's got going on, but there's so much intricate communication that goes on out there between, especially the backside tackle got to. in the, you know, any sort of zone read game that backside tackles always got to. trying to get into communication with the quarterback. So that's the, uh, the big thing that I, I man, did. we could go all day. We could go all day about little intricacies, but uh, let's 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 segue into to the next topic. Okay, so the the technical thing that that we're going to talk about this week is, you know, I, I had a nice discuss. I had a very interesting discussion with somebody on Twitter, and I, and I was watching some clips of um, you know, uh, you know, analysts who watch offensive line play and other leagues like the NFL and stuff like that. Okay, so. Um, there's been a lot of football on the last week, you know, watching NFL preseason games, just kind of, you know, getting the feel for things, you know, watching uh, CFL games. Um, so, yeah, so I got into the discussion about punchers. So you you and I, you know, played multiple positions. We know there's all different types of techniques in the sense of how alignment punches. And, and when I say punch, I'm talking about how we use our hands to get into combat with a D lineman for, for the people who, who don't know too much about football terminology. I know cause me and B were just going off for about 30 minutes about football terms. Everybody's like, what's a mic? What's a Sam? What is it? Halfback? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, so in the sense of what we're talking about, we're talking about how linemen use their hands to be efficient and pass blocking. Okay. So um what I always felt like was something that I was really good at was I was really good at hand combat. I was really good at, you know, kind of getting into the telephone booth and just kind of playing pity pat with, with defensive linemen and figuring out where to punch. Now, me, I am a low-handed, patient puncher. So I don't have my hands up high. They're not sitting out in front of me for a D lineman to smack at, like how they make those dummies that they practice with where the arms are, like, just out like yeah. this, and they can swipe at it all day. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't me. My hands were like literally down here, like at the waist. I was kicking, holding my hands, and I was very patient. I never fired my hands until I got a guy who was in my cylinder. And when I say in my cylinder, I mean close enough to where I can reach out and grab it. So for you, B, um, what do you feel like was the best punching technique that you used that always – kind of helped you or did you or and did you ever like change your punches based off of D-line score? So for, let's start with let's start with what what would you say was your technique as a puncher? Were you a high puncher? Were you a low puncher? Were you a double-handed? Were you single hand combat? Like what kind of puncher were you? Oh man, I honestly I feel like that there was different times in my career where I was a different pass blocker, you know early on I was probably more of a, a double hand guy that would just look to get I would just shoot two at the same time and one would hit and it would just work out, you know, and I just, I didn't even really have enough technique or didn't even think about it. And then once I got thinking about it, um, I always thought that your outside hand, you had to use like a jab, you know? So I always tried to, I wanted to get my outside hand out in their face right away. And, and that was kind of my feeler for the distance, you know, and if they were going to come out and try and charge the ball, I wanted to have my hand out and make sure that if I was going to put my hand, it was out into the, their armpit. You know, if you go down the midline with that outside hand, that's death. I've had a coach say, you know, and I really think that it is. So I would always try and go to that outside, just inside the, the armpit with my left hand, just to bring them in. And I knew that the, the quick counter to that is, 
is a lot of guys, if they can't beat you through the B gap because you just shut that off and hit their outside shoulder, they're going to come back to the A gap. So with the, I would almost do like a, a punch and a, just a catch with this hand, you know, and then if we got into it, I would just look to replace. But I always felt super comfortable with just putting something, especially if it was a, a smaller, twitchier dude that I didn't have to worry about getting jacked up with a, a huge bull rush. And then it worked even better, you know, because if they want to sit there and shimmy and shake, you just kind of feel them out with that outside hand. And then you can just kind of close the gate with this one is always the way I kind of think thought about it and then from there on i mean once you got two hands on it just kind of rally to whatever you know the situation calls for so you're going to be hand fighting trying to get back underneath and um <clears throat> being a low hand striker i only really did it a few times if i knew i had a real physical guy that was just going to run down the pipe all day long i would just do low hand and come with the double under on the the fit you know and mm -hmm. all that would you'd win hand leverage and ultimately win the block but that was the the way I like to do it was like try and play long with the left hand and, and more inside out on probably just like perpendicular, you know, it's like a more like a club type feeling with my inside hand. And I mean, it, it worked. You just have to know what the your weakness is to that, you know, so the weakness of that one is, is getting jacked up to your inside peck, you know, so you can get like this when you got your arm out here, but then you have to be able to cover it. So, I mean, it, it felt natural to me and that's what I always kind of felt. And when I would train with D lineman in the off season, I always thought that, that was just the, you know, it, it's tough to beat when you close the gate with the inside hand, you know, I know some guys, they, they like to try and punch away from their body and it's just so easy to, you know, get swiped or get beat. And I mean, they might say you're leaning at the hip, you're leaning, you're on your toes, whatever. But I still think anytime you punch out in front and, you know, inside your shoulder width, more or less, is you're, you're very susceptible to getting beat on an edge, you know? So that was always why I like to, to be a little more, you know, in that clubbing motion with my inside hand. It's just I could catch any inside move and then I'll move my feet to to redirect on it. Yeah, man, I'm... I'm Spot on, bro. Um, for me, I've always felt like being a versatile puncher was always a really good thing. So I feel like tools in the toolbox, right? If you're a lineman, I, I don't like, you know, especially with, I know a lot of offensive line coaches, they want guys to be consistent, right? So it's always like a punch the same way all the time or, you know, how you want to use the type of thing. But I don't fully agree with that because I feel like it has to be dependent upon the guy you're going against, right? Now, again, I agree. Everybody's going to have their base, you know, technique to where they're, that's their comfort zone, right? But again, you got to be able to get out that comfort zone and be able to understand, well, what's the type of rusher you're going against, right? So, yeah, like you said, if I knew I was going against a bull rusher, then, I, you know, I was coming, you know, double club under. I was making him think he had my chest. And then as soon as he got close enough, I would forklift him up, you know, or if I was going against a guy who was a real outside arm, outside arm chop guy, guy who'd like to work outside moves. OK, well, I'm just going to I'm going to be independent hand puncher. OK, so I'm going to keep my hands separate. And then when he goes to work his move, I'll shoot the outside hand for, for that peck. And if I miss then I know, okay, slide my hips, put my hand on this hip and ride his hip up, up, push him past the past the pocket, past the um, you know, the access point. If I was going against a guy who liked to work inside moves, then I was always gonna, you know, I was always gonna shoot my shoot my outside hand first, 
thinking that he had his inside move. And then when he got forward, it was kind of like, like you said, like a club or, you know, that's what I always used against um, Willie Jefferson because he was a big inside move yeah. guy. Like that was his go-to. He was going to go with that, that club swim or that club chop to in, inside. He was always trying to beat you inside. He didn't want to go outside. And I knew that's, that's what it was. So I always let him think, all right, throw my outside hand, make him think like, okay, he's think I'm going outside. Let me hit him inside. And then I would just have this hand literally just sitting there like this, waiting to catch him. Like not even, not even because, because Willie's a skinny dude. Right. So I knew it was going to be the way he likes to get skinny. was going to be most of the time. It's not going to be a lot of surface to hit. Right. So you got to have account for that. So if I can't have a lot of surface to hit, then there's no need for me trying to punch him. And there's not, there's not going to be nothing there to punch. So, I'm, I'm not going to punch him. I'm going to I'm going to hook him, throw it out there and, let his, and yep. let his body catch on my arm. And I know he's not strong enough to move my arm out the way. So I'm just going to hold him like that. Like, yeah. so that's the type of thing that, you know, I feel like guys are just not grasping that concept. I don't know if it's but film. It's, I don't know if it's coaching. Cutter. It's that yeah. cookie cutter coach, you know, it's just like this is how you get it. And then you go one, two, three kick and you got a punch and they, you know, they're just. So ingrained, yeah, it's like it, you got to be. It's a reaction, you know. Like it's an instinct. You can't go out there premeditated. Oh, I'm going left hand, and then I'm doing this one. It's like no, no. You gotta. You can have a little bit of an idea what you're trying to accomplish, but like you can't go out there. And I, that's what I see a lot of is just there's a lot of dudes out there that are like, oh, this is exactly how the coach just looks good when I do it in practice in my little individual drill. This mm-hmm. is gonna work, and it's like, well, no, you just served it exactly how the D lineman prepares for it. You know, you gave him the two hands nice and tight right out in front and just exactly, you know, and just like yeah. give him the little kick step. And it's just like, right. well, that's it. I mean, you give them everything that they wanted, you know? So I've always thought that like to be a little unorthodox and, you know, like to vary it up and like, even with your stance and stuff like that, if you vary up everything, it don't matter. You know, the same way with the hands, like I've been told you roll meatballs, you know, and you keep your hands moving. Well, then I've also been told, well, you can't hit if your if your hands are together, your hands aren't still, you can't hit, you can't hit, you know, your target or whatever. So it's like, I don't know. At the end of the day, I think, you want to present as many looks. If you're a pitcher pitching in a game, you want to have a bunch of pitches, you know, like we right. said, tools in the toolbox. It don't matter if you got the Hadouken punch at 110 mile an hour fastball. It's like you throw it every time they're going to time that thing up and somebody's going to hit it off you, you know, Tony so Washington. Like, Tony Washington. <clears throat> it's like, you just want to be able to kind of just kind of flow and have present a different look and have a little different tempo. And, you know, the more you can kind of adjust that sort of stuff, it just gives the D line more to, to read and think about. So right, that's always been kind of my thing is like, don't do anything predictable. Don't be predictable no. in your pass set. Don't be predictable in your hand carriage. Just keep everything guessing, you know, damn near keep yourself guessing. And, you know, and then at least you the D lineman ain't going to be, well, I know what I got next time. Second and long, I got one keyed up for him, you know, next right, time I see right, this, it's like, right. so that's always the, the thing I tried to do, man. It's like, just be so random with everything that there was like no real trend or pattern, you know, from stance to where your eyes would be to where, you know, you give him a little head turn. Maybe one time you look inside as you're setting out to a three technique, it's like, well, that just looks so much different, you know, like I didn't expect right. it, you know, so you can catch a lot of guys like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's why that's why I always like being a um a independent patient puncher because in my mind, D linemen are the most impatient guys when it comes, especially when it comes to pass rush, right? They have an internal clock that they're thinking about in their mind, in their first two, 
maybe in the CFL, maybe three steps, they already have to know what it is that they need to do, right? So they're always banking on linemen being real too too fast. And those, those are the ones that they love to feast on. They want the guys who, as soon as the balls come out and, and before you even get range, they're trying to throw a punch or they got their hands sitting out or, you know, their body position is just all all out of whack. So they know like, okay, he's already in a bad position. Let me, you know, let me, let me make them think I'm doing this to set them up, you know, for this. Right. It's a chess game. I mean, I always tell linemen, whatever linemen ask me, it's a chess game. You got to be able to go out there and, and you know what? Shout out to my, my big bro, Charles Spencer. He taught me this when I was training, when I first came out of college. And when he taught me this, it changed my life when it came to, to um, pass pro. He literally said, you can dictate exactly the move you want the D lineman to give you. If you just give them whatever telltales that they think they're, they're supposed to be looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. The one, the one granted the one telltale that I hate, I hate with a passion. I watch dudes, I watch guys in the NFL do it. And I hate it is that that fake arm flash when you throw it out. Oh my God. I hate that. I hate coaches who teach that. Cause I'm like, bro, you're setting your guys up for failure because one guys who do that one do not have the hand speed to be able to get their hands back into position to be able to fire them again. One, two, two, again, you're putting guys in a bad body position because when they try to put so much energy into that flash and they lean forward, they're not the greatest athletes to be able to pull themselves back into position to be able to have their shoulders back. Because once a D lineman sees this, what are they going for? Going clean for that shoulder to grab it, mm-hmm. pull themselves through, pull, you know what I'm saying? They club it down, whatever it is. As soon as they see it, that's the tell sign. Okay, boom, there's my move right there. So I hate that flashing stuff. Young lineman, if you listen to this, please get that out of your game. Man, get that they, out of your game. Here's one that would serve you better because all they're, you're just trying to give them a little something and you're, getting him to take the bait but like what we were just talking about earlier you were just saying there is to to break the tempo and to give more space because the further and that's how i did it my first year with bob wiley is it was one kick for width and then the other one would come almost straight back vertical you know so you'd be a little wider foot but when you'd watch that guy if he went inside you'd take your outside you'd replace your outside inside and that's what allowed you to keep your your post foot up on your redirect to the inside move right you know but when i would do it i would go one for width one to back and then i would just keep almost like a little mini waddle back and i would end up giving the d lineman for what started out as a yard, yard and a half would end up to probably three yards, you know, and I would just kind of mini shuffle back and eventually they just look around left, right. And they just turn it into a bull rush every time, you know? So it's right. kind of the same thing, you know, when you break their timing and the rhythm and I've had it done opposite by a D line and I've had a D line and pop straight up out of his stance, no get off off the ball. So you're right. expecting that, that contact, you know, to be initiated there. And it's like, this guy stood up, took a split second well in that split second it felt like 10 seconds in my head and I had all sorts of ideas about what could be coming and I I got like paralyzed paralysis by analysis you know it's just like the guy didn't come out and you didn't get that engager I didn't get a good read off of him it was so unorthodox it works you know kind of like what you see uh those pro fighters sometimes they'll say that like it's not the guys the pros that they're worried about it's like the unorthodox guys that don't do the conventional shit you know and that's like 
that's the way and you can you can get yourself probably five to ten of them a game you know where you're just breaking a dude's rhythm you know throughout mm-hmm. the course of the the game you know whether it's in you gotta, gotta know when when you can and can't do it but tempo off the ball and giving you manipulating that distance in between the defender is a big thing you know the more space that you give them it takes more time which takes away options you know if they're trying to right. get there faster and it's like they haven't made contact and one second's already down it's like damn i got 1.6 seconds to try and get there now like you know and they're running out of time. So <laughs> they just got to run over you you know that's the only way they can get there fast enough is to go through you so that's the uh i used to do that a lot and then it's like the more coaches want you to set on the line, you know, be firm in your set. It's like, well, I'm right in this dude's wheelhouse. You can go one step, two step and be like right in perfect, you know, stance to sit there and hit with the shimmy and all that other shit, you know, whereas if I was to go back up another, now he's got to go one, two, three, you know, and his shit's all not in right. sync, but it's like, if you're going to set him at the line, they train for that. Why would you want to play in that dude's train? You know, it's like if you knew the dude had a wicked haymaker, it's like you wouldn't circle into that right hand, you know? Like, <laughs> so it's like, why do you want to sit there and fight the fight with the guy at the level where he's trained? You know, it's like break that up, jump him a little bit, back it up a little bit, you know, like manipulate the distance in between the two. I think there's a lot to be had there. So, for sure. I don't man, know so sure. much about out on the edge, but I think inside, especially, you know? But just knowing, I mean, up north is the same to me. Like when I used to play games at guard, it wasn't too much different than tackle. I mean, I mean, granted, you got people on both sides of you, but the space is still the same, right? And that's something that I always feel like American linemen, um, a lot of them struggle with when they come up to the CFL, is that they're playing with space that they're they're not accustomed to at all, right? So they get kind of get a little frantic because space for for us in the U.S. Space is like a big no-no, right? Yeah. Like we're not, we're not trying to be in space. We're not trying to create separation. We want to keep it in the telephone booth, in a sense. And it's mano y mano, locked up horns, and you know the clock in the NFL is a lot quicker than it is in the CFL. You know what I'm saying? The post CFL, you're going to be blocking for four, you know, th- four seconds, four maybe five seconds for you know a pass, a normal pass play. When in NFL, the clock is about two to three seconds, right? Everything's pretty quick, man. Especially like when you play against the play with the quarterbacks who know where the ball is going, man, it's pretty much, you know, Tampa Bay's O-line has the easiest job in the world because Tom already knows exactly where he's going with the yeah. ball. It's, it's one, two, three, gone. One, two, three, yeah. gone. One, two, three, gone. You know what I'm saying? That's what I love about playing with Bo Levi because that's how it was. It was, it was one, two, three, ball's gone. You know, everything was in rhythm, right? Now, there was occasional plays where he would – you know, kind of hold on to it when he realized, okay, I got some time. Let me let me let this develop yeah. downfield. You know, that's how he got his nickname, man. No big uh, gunsling. You know what I'm saying? That's how he got his nickname. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's um, that's that's really what it is. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about you know the technique of punching. You know how you approach stuff. You know what was what was best practices for you. Um, definitely, young linemen. If y'all listen to this, man, if you, you know hit it, hit either one of us up. You know online if you want to get into a little more detail, but. Um, at least kind of circling back to the original question, um, especially with the original with the first question, I think that's what's plaguing a lot of these teams with the bad O-line play is that these guys are just not they're not figuring how to play the chess game yeah. within the game, right? And that's yeah, what's, what's making them struggle. And they're not understanding play concepts, they're not understanding 
you know, what it is, you know, they're not understanding, okay, it's a three-step drop, you know, let me, you know, short set them if I can. If I got a guy who's, you know, pretty good at reading the short set, then, you know, let me fake him and try to throw a cut at him. You know, like, it's, they're not playing the chess game. So, um, yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of guys that haven't quite recognized where the weakness is, you know, because, like, to every answer or every action, there's going to be that reaction that can be countered, you know. So, it's like when I talk about backing up off the ball and you're giving that D lineman a little more space, it's like, well, they're taught – if the guy's going back, keep moving back and just run right through him, you know? So right. that's what, so you got to know when you're going to do that, that you have to have a pretty strong anchor, you know? So that's why when I was young, it used to work really damn good for me when I used to be out there at three 30 and just strong as, you know, an ox and guys used to just run. And I, I don't even know. I, it was just a natural anchor, you know, that mm-hmm. a guy, you could have your hands out here and you just do that one hop and kind of just, Pinch the, the hips forward. One hop, swing like, them hips. Man, and the stuff <laughs> would stop, you know? So that's what I see is, like, you know, there's just guys getting beat where it's, like, you had to know that that was the, the answer, you know? If you're going to go yeah. jump a three technique and he's got his inside foot back and he goes in on first step, you know, it's, like, you had to see it. Or if his outside foot back, he's going in one up and then he's going in hard, you know? It's, like, you got to know where you're vulnerable and where you're weak, you know? And I just think – there's a few guys out there, especially the younger guys, and that that just takes a while to to learn, you know, don't get beat away from your help. And what's the, you know, on this play when I go to execute this technique, what's the the fastest counter? What's the 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 thing that defense can do the fastest that'll hurt me the most? That was what Bob Wiley right. taught me my my very first year. What can the defense do to me the fastest that can hurt me the most? You know, so right. when you start to think of the game like that, and then to every action that you have, you got to know the the counter to it. So that's the uh, that's the thing that guys got to learn right now. I think and as soon as they start to see that big picture, like you touched on, I think you know it all starts to go hand in hand, and you know we'll start to see some some better offensive line play because I do agree it's been. Uh, Left a little to be desired, you know. We'll Imagination is running wild. Yeah. I think Sass O line got. I think Sass O line got a little better. I don't know who the, the new kid who they had playing left tackle. He looked pretty solid to me. He didn't. He didn't look like he was. He was a fish out of water. He looked pretty solid. I think he had a pretty good game. You know, showed yeah, think, showed in the uh, performance. I think you got to give Soros a shout out there, man. Like, uh, you yeah, look yeah, at what yeah. he's doing. He's working with some young guys. And these guys are coming in and they're looking game ready, you know, and the other guy is Moss. I think that offense is real conducive. It's definitely catering. That's a a fun one to play. And if you're an O-lineman, you know, there's a lot of misdirection, quick and quick passing. And I mean, yeah, it's uh, it looks good, man. They're, they're rolling pretty good over there. Yeah, they are. They are, man. I I think that they're probably with my most improved offensive line from week one to week two. Um, so I think they they look like they're 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 figuring some some stuff out. I like Young Furlan, like you said, man. That you was right about the kid. He's he's definitely he's doing really well, man. I think having a veteran like Dan right there in the middle is kind of helping out too. Because I mean, center is a very important position for the fact of getting the rest of the line on the right page. So when you got a guy who's been doing it for a while, I think that's what's been playing like a Hamilton or a, or a Ottawa or you know where they got a young center who hasn't been doing it in a long time and is not as experienced and well-versed in kind of getting everybody on the same page and kind of demanding that type of respect. So um, just the inside with that physicality, you know, like you go to work, your, your combos inside. Dan knows what a good a or a, a good single should feel like, you know, he's done right. enough of them. He knows when it's right. And when that guard's popping him up and hitting him right, you know, so right. he's, he's going to get furland right where you look at another guy. It's like a, two young guys working together. 
Yeah, it's chaos. You know? It's chaos. <laughs> so yeah, it's chaos. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, they've definitely done a good thing. I knew Furland would be a beast in there. You know, yeah. it was almost like he was, he's been sitting there ready to go, you know, like uh, for a year for sure, at least the back half of last, or in 2019, you know, he's probably nice. ready. And then he, he did nothing but work for a year and a half there to, to make sure he was ready. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. to see he's out there. Yeah, I like him. You know, I like season, him, man. Season is opportunity, man. That's uh, that's good. And I told you the other kid that uh, for a young guy right now, we we haven't heard much about is uh, the Williams in uh, I think it is, isn't it in Calgary? The left guard there, or uh, oh yeah, Zach, the Manitoba Zach. Hey yeah. man, man, that yeah. kid. When I tell you he is a house, like in terms of strength. Yeah, he is a beast, man. That dude can move people from point A to point B. I think the his biggest thing is the mental part is where he struggles at times, and that's why he kind of looks out of places. Because when he doesn't have to think, when he just has to go, man, that yeah. dude is going is going to move some people yeah. for sure. I like his stance. I just like the way he is. It's strong. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's strong. He's athletic too. Like angles. he's not just yeah. a muscle die, but he's athletic. He can run. He can move. You know, he can jump like he's 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 got all the tools to be really good. Yep. He just has to figure out the upstairs part. That's his yep. that's his biggest hurdle is is the mental part. Yep. Once he gets that figured out, man, watch out. Start, yeah. When you're starting as a second year, that's going to come, you know, like it can only go one. Of the, there's only two ways it goes. You either get better or you go out there. And you get absolutely crushed and demoralized and want no more part. And then you're almost like a broken spirit after, you know, if they try yeah. to crush you out there too early. But yeah, I really haven't seen too, too many guys like that this year. But I, I know I have in the past. But No, that, that kid's got know, that kid's got the tools. He's He's got yeah. the tools to be good, man. It's just more of the mental part. If he could get that, if he could get that down where he can play, get to the point, the part where he's playing without thinking and he's just doing and it's natural, it's coming natural. Man, that kid's gonna be that kid's gonna be a CFL All Star for a long time. But, yeah. um, yeah, I think BC's offensive line got better too. I think that they, they they've improved. Um, I really, I mean, you know, I'm now nah, I'm not gonna say it. I, I'm not a big fan of of their tackles. Okay, they're they're good players. I'm me personally. I'm not a big fan of them. Me, I'm a I'm a stickler for technique. I'm a stickler for looking a certain way. Like you know, I don't like. I don't like too much sloppy offensive line play. I get it. In a game, it's fight or flight. You're going to be in certain situations where it's just like it it doesn't matter how it looks. You got to get your job done. I'm more of a perfectionist. I like to see the feet in the right place. I like to see the movement. I like to see the hips, bent knees. That's just my personal preference. So sometimes it's really hard for me to watch certain guys play because it's kind of like a, to me, it's like a, uh, like it doesn't have to look that ugly. Like, come on, stop making it look that ugly. (laughs) I I hear you, man. But like, then on the other side of the coin is like, damn, you could be effective with that. You know, like. Yeah, true. When you see it, it's like, man, that's winning, you know, like that guys can play winning football with some stuff that just looks bad, you know? So it's like, I always thought that that kind of gave me a, a big boost of confidence going in the next week. When you see a, a defensive lineman getting beat by a guy, it's like, oh, technique didn't even look that sharp, you know, like his, his right. angles and his power wasn't really even that put together. And he was holding his own winning against that guy, you know, it's like you put it all together, right. you can really, 
get after. So I get it. I mean, it's not always the prettiest to watch, but it, when it's, no, uh, no, no, it's never going to be pretty. I mean, I've been in situations where it wasn't pretty and it was ugly, but as long as you know, what I'm saying the job was done, the job was done, right? And at the end of the day, that's really what it is. As long as the job's getting done, the job's getting done. It's just more of my personal preference in watching offensive line play. I like the I like the sweetness that because that was me. That was my game. I was I was I was sweet feet. And I always think that style points equals confidence. Not so much from yourself, but from the people around you, the coaches. Yeah, man. You so much more when you look cleaner, and you know, just like you know. Yeah, man. Especially you got a coach who's 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 tech who's technique driven. Like Pat. Yeah. Pat was a was a technique professionist. He wanted to see it look how it was supposed to look right and and, it's, and when you watch a film man it just makes you feel good when you could say like oh yeah that was a pretty set that looked real that looked nice yeah, man like yeah. hands Huge hands tank. is moving good feet yeah. moving good you got a good base you sitting there you get a little push after a little five yard jog like yeah that was yeah. that's teach Clinic tape right there <laughs> yeah. Yeah. put it on me yeah. yeah yeah man but let, i mean let's 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 get to the let's get to the week three matchups man close it out um, we got a nice slate of games uh, this week. We definitely did call what you know that Montreal Edmonton game, man. That was that was pretty much what we thought was going to happen. You know that was that was that was sweet though. Um, Mondo got one. Mondo did. Mondo got him one, man. He got a cheap one too. It was a cheap one. <laughs> it was a cheap hey, one. Hey, they don't. It still count. The no stats pictures on the stats. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's go. Let's go with the first game of the week. We got um. We got the Edmonton Elks and we got the BC Lions. Uh, who do you got? What matchups do you want to see? And who who do you think wins the game? I'm going to go with BC. And just on the fact that they were able to get by uh, Calgary, I did not see that one coming at all. So I got to think that those guys are going to be feeling good. And uh, I don't know, man. I still don't – nobody out there is really wowing me on the either side of the ball on the, in the BC trenches, but – if they can be effective this week, if that D line can go out there and be effective, I mean, uh, I'm gonna have to start watching them a little closer and pick out one guy because somebody's got to be producing out there. But when I, uh, you know, just watching the games, nobody's popping out at me, you know. So that's yeah. kind of the. I, I don't really have a, a big matchup, but I mean, somebody's got to be a, making these plays and being effective, you know. So that'll be the thing this week is to to focus in a little more on that BCD line and see if there's not an interior guy in there that's. Uh, you know, I'm going to step up and create some pass rush because that's the, the biggest thing that I know I touched on last week is uh, I just didn't see the twitch or the shimmy or any of that, you know, that the fluidity with got when good pass rushers move, you know, I didn't see that. Right. I've seen bigger, stronger guys that wanted to, to fit up and try and walk guys back, you know. So that's uh, – I'm curious to see if any of those BCD linemen, uh, you know, start to flow and come out with a little better pass rush and – Interior wise, for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go with BC in this one, and I just, I really just don't have no faith in Edmonton right now. Like just based over the first two performances, I mean, I think their offense put up 12 points in two games. Like it's just right now their their issues are just too big and too glaring to to fix. And the biggest one is the red zone, right? If you can't score in the red zone, you're not gonna win any game. So, yeah. I don't care how many field goals you kick. If you're not scoring touchdowns, game's gonna be game's gonna be tough. Um, BC defense showed me some stuff in the Calgary game, um, especially defensive line. They they was getting after them boys. Now, um, you know they was they was uh, they had some nice games. They was doing a lot of games, 
and they were winning um, with the games. And I think, um, especially when you're playing against Edmonton's offensive line right now, right now their cohesion, their communication is just completely off. And you know how it is. You know how it is, Blue. You're not going to fix those in a week. That's something that comes with a lot of weeks of chemistry, a lot of proper practice, a lot of extra time with the guys. And it's kind of hard to do the stuff that we normally would do to build that cohesion because of COVID protocols and stuff like that. So, um, especially because so Edmonton... See, uh, you see anybody on that BCD line, individual-wise, that, that's winning? Or are they winning kind of by schemes and through games and, and that sort of I think stuff? it's... I think it's schemes. I mean, um, the the other DN that they got outside of outside of Jr. Uh, Tavai or Tavai, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm saying yeah. his name right, but yeah, I mean, I, I was I I didn't think he was too good in Ottawa, but he was always like a like a you know high motor guy. You know, I, I'm I, yeah, I'm I I listen. I'm so fed up with people giving high praise to high motor guys. Like those guys are good to have on your football team, but they're not they're not stars, bro. They're not gonna make any noise. They're not gonna put up big gaudy stats. It's very rare that you see a high motor guy. I think the last I had this argument with somebody on Twitter. I think the last high motor guy was John Chick. And when I got into the league, I didn't think John Chick was that good, man. I think my first second game ever in the CFL it was like the first drive of the game. I, I I hit him with a double punch in his chest and he buckled to his knees like 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 origami. It was it was folding him clean up. And it was just one nice punch, boom, he just punched drunk. So um, you had to see him back in, in his prime, you know, like back before he went. I mean, he was still pretty decent then, though, because he went to Hamilton and still had 16 back. sacks. He was still he playing well. Yeah, he was double digit when he got when he went to Hamilton. He was still 2016. He was a CFL all star. I yeah. think he had like 14. Yeah, I know uh, like, he was a wild man. But I like I'm thinking back to like. Yeah, I mean, maybe before my time, day, he probably was. Yeah, for Indy, you know, it was wild. But like. That shit, honestly, that high motor stuff, man, especially from a D-line perspective, it's like that's chasing shit down from behind. You yeah. Know? So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably let, let's not let's not let's not get too far off the topic. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'll go BC. Um, I think BC wins. Um, I think it, it'll be a uh it might be a close game. Maybe Everton bounces back, but right now I just I really have no faith in what they have going, especially on the offensive end. Um, I don't think their defense is that great. I mean, I think the best part of the defense is the D line, but I mean, you got two Canadian defensive ends. That's I, I mean, I don't I don't think I don't know why they think that's going to be a recipe for success moving forward. I don't think I've ever seen two Canadian defensive ends ever be tried by anyone. I think that's really some real outside the box thinking. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to sell tickets or something. Like I, I don't know, but um, yeah. So yeah, uh, the next game, though, he's nice. Yeah, yeah. No, no. More is more is. I think more is top two D tackles in the league. Um, well, at least you know based off of twenty nineteen. This year he's doing all right. I mean, he had two sacks in the first game. Uh, he didn't do nothing in the second game against against a veteran offensive line in Montreal, but um. You may have some success against BC, especially in the interior. Um, yeah. I think they they might be down Hunter Stewart. I don't think Hunter Stewart may play, so who knows who they're gonna have in there. So um, it's definitely gonna be. Uh, it's definitely. I think the inside the trenches is always gonna be a matchup to look after. Uh, but let's go to the Friday game. We got the Montreal Alouettes. We got the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, who you who you going with? Um, what's the matchup you want to see? And um, who you think is gonna win? Man, this is uh. This is a tough one. 
again, man, like I, I expect Calgary to bounce back, you know, so it's so tough. Like my instinct is always saying you, you bet on Calgary, you go with Calgary, you know, but it's like, I think Montreal's for real. And I got some questions about, about Calgary, you know, so that'll be the, uh, and the thing I'm watching as always is to watch to see how the the interior of the Calgary O-line is going to hold up against Mondo, you know. Every time Montreal plays, I'm looking to watch Mondo and to see how guys hold up against him, and that's that's where my eyes are. Every time Montreal's on the field, I'll be watching, watching there, and I'll see what, uh, yeah, see what these Calgary guys got to slow them down and uh, keep them off the, the new quarterback with uh, Bo being down now. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I'm I'm going Montreal all the way. Uh, Montreal is my favorite team of the year, so I'm always going to go most of the time. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to go with Montreal because um, I think that's that's my Grey Cup winner this year. Um, but um, I think uh, Cal- De- Calgary's defense is good. Defensive line is doing pretty well. Um, I mean, from what I'm hearing through the grapevine, because you know I got I got plugs everywhere, baby. So I hear the I hear the I hear the grapevine noise. I don't have too much. I don't have too much faith in uh, in Calgary this week. Um, Bo being down is the biggest thing. I mean, if you don't got Bo Levi back there, I mean, granted, Michael O'Connor might be a, a decent quarterback. Um, I don't really care about the whole Canadian or American. It doesn't really matter to me. End of the day, quarterback is a quarterback. Um, but with their offensive line woes, um, I mean. Calgary's offensive line didn't look good against BC, and their D line is not not that great. So they're going against a defensive line where you got Nick Usher, who's uh you know he's he's coming down the pipe every play. He's a he's a, he's a head he's a head buster. Um, you got Mondo in the middle against a bunch of young Canadian offensive linemen. I don't think Mondo's getting any one on ones. I know Pat if he's smart, he's not giving Mondo any one on ones. Mondo's going to get double teams, but the fact that he is going to get double teams. Or he's going to get a lot of slide pro to his side. That means the other two defensive linemen have to win. And from what I saw, you know, Justin Simmons had a good game against Edmonton. Um, he looked like he's 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 starting to learn the CFL game as opposed from his rookie year. Um, and then uh, they got the other D tackle, Woody Barron. I love I love Woody Barron. I think he's yeah. he's really good. He's slick. And if yeah, he's and he's shifty too. So mm-hmm. I think if Mondo's getting double teams and slides, that puts Woody Barron in one on ones, and that dude can go win. So, yeah, um, I'm gonna go with, uh, yeah, I'm going with Montreal, uh, to to win that game. All right, let's go to the Saturday game. We got the Winnipeg Blue Palmers. We got the Toronto Argos for matchup, uh, number two, in a back to back. Um, yeah, who you got? Who you going with? I'm going with Winnipeg. Same reason as always. Until I see anything start to, to pop <laughs> yeah, up and really change, man. I just. Uh, Offensive line-wise, I think that that's the, the most solid crew in the league. And, I mean, it it's just like clockwork. You, we know in the second half they're just going to start to run the ball, run the ball, and in the fourth quarter they just take over games, you know, and it's uh, fun to watch. We, uh, we don't get to see enough of it. I wish there was some more O-linemen or more O-lines that could go out there and put it on some defenses the way that these guys have been. But, uh, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's the group right there, and that's uh, – that's a matchup and it'll be good to, to see him run it back against in Toronto. Cause I do like a, a lot of Toronto's individual guys. And I think with more game experience that there's going to be some D linemen that are 
extremely good. I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto has some all-stars on that D-line at the end of the year, but it's, uh, you know, I just think it's going to be a little bit of time and I don't think it's going to come in one week going back up against the, the number one unit in the league. So I think yeah. down the road, Toronto's D-line is going to wreak a lot of havoc. I just don't see it happening this week against that crew. Yeah. Uh, the game's going to be a little closer than it was in week one. I mean, it's how it always is with back-to-backs. Teams are going to make the adjustments. Normally, the team who took the loss probably performs a little better. Um, Toronto's going with Nick Arbuckle at quarterback this time. So um, I think the offense will be much improved for Toronto because Nick has the chemistry with all of with the Eric and Deveris and um, Braverman, um, you know, Ricky's new, but, you know, Ricky uh, uh, acclimates himself pretty quick. Ricky's a really good receiver. We spend time with him in SAS. Um, yeah, so he, he has chemistry with those guys. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Jawan is uh, – Briskation is, is up this week. I know he got – you know, his knee got bent up pretty bad in that first matchup, so he may be down this week. But the other receivers that's playing, Eric, DeVaris, um, those guys are going to have, you know, those guys are going to have a, a different impact with Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to bet against Winnipeg. I think Winnipeg's going to win just for the simple fact that they're just they're the team to beat right now. So it's just wise to go with them. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to go against them. So they got the best D line. They got the best O line right now, and it's going to keep. It's going to be that way until everybody else figures it out. So, what did um, you think of the? Uh, what did you think of the game? Like. What do you think of Toronto's tackles the interior guys, you know? Oh, Toronto, that's that's one of the teams. That's one of the teams I was talking about, too. Like, when I said, you know, I probably have a lot of teams calling. Toronto's tackles are – they're they're the weak spot for their O-line. Um, yeah. Interior is – interior is okay. I think Phillips has been doing a pretty good job at center. Yeah. Um, Bladdock – Bladdock looked looked like he had a rough time in that uh that when the first that Winnipeg game he looked like he had a little bit of a rough time, and I think mostly that's due to just Bladdock is um his hands man he's he's uh right now he's too much of a grabber he's too much of a of a body of a get into your get into his body type of thing I don't think he's using his hands very well um you know he's always been really straight legged when it comes to like pass bro and his stance and stuff like that and i think that's always been a little bit of a, um you know detriment to him because he he doesn't play with the with the bend or the um you know just with the pad level you know what i'm saying he gets really high at times it's really easy for guys to get up under him and that's where he struggles cuz he doesn't use his hand right so it's more like if you're going to let guys get into your body you got to be able to you know at at the pro at the pro football level you're not going to overpower everybody that's just that's just what it is you know what i'm saying like in college you, it's easy to do that but when you get to pro football it's it's everybody's strong everybody works out everybody lifts weights the technique is what saves you in pro football it's not the power so i think you know he he's got a lot of that little Richardson, or I call him little. He's not little by any means, but Winnipeg no. he tackle Richardson. He's shorter, you know. So yeah, like well, he's that, hurt right he, now. I think. I think he's hurt. Oh, is he hurt now? Yeah, he's hurt. But he, the he the, the rookie really they got from the XFL, Sales, he's been okay. he's been doing pretty good. Okay, he's been he's been reaping some benefits. He's kind of filling in that Drake Nevis role, but he's a little better of a. Of a I want to say he's a little better pass rusher than Drake was. Drake's more of a power run stopper guy, right? But um, yeah. I think I think he's he's been filling in pretty well. He's been showing pretty well for them. Yeah. Um, 
and you know Jackson Jeff Coat um was just he he just took Campbell for it. he was he was yeah it was Yam City yeah. it was Yam City man so yeah no um, was, especially uh, if Willie's gonna get the double teams if Willie's gonna get the double teams the slides and they're gonna put the focus on him it's gonna put Jackson Jeff Coat in a lot of one on ones and after that first game he he proved at least against Toronto tackles that he's the he's the he's he can win those one on one. So yeah. they got to show some improvement um, from from that first game, and I think that was yeah. that was a big thing for them. I think that's why McLeod Bethel struggled. You know, Arbuckle yeah, so came I in; thought. he made a couple of plays, but you know, even he's he even he you know he got a strip sack at the end from Jeff Coat from kind of you know a late you know behind the back type of thing. It wasn't like a you yeah. know it was it was a hustle. You know what I'm saying? Motor. High motor guy. High motor. High motor guy. High motor guy. Cracking it down. Cracking <laughs> it down. High motor. Making plays. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Toronto's got to Toronto's got to do some improvement, man. I, I think I, I, I mean, they, I feel like they have a unit that's a little bit more, um, savvy in the sense of they got some experience under them. So I think they'll correct it. I think their weak spot is their left tackle, and that's just they're they're trying to figure that spot out. So, um, yeah, yeah, Winnipeg all the way. Um, and then we'll go to the last game, uh. Saturday, uh, late the Saturday afternoon game. We got the Ottawa Red Blacks. We got the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, who you going with? What matchup you want to see? And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going with Saskatchewan again. But um, the matchup that I want to see this time, I mean, when I look at Saskatchewan on defense, Mac Henry has been wrecking a lot of teams. You know, there's been a lot of interior O linemen getting roughed up, and he's just out physical. He gets off the ball, and he's fresh out. I mean, he's not fucking around, and there's some guys out there just kind of wanting to tiptoe play in the game, and he's playing for real. And it, I mean, he's just yeah. physically blowing some dudes up out there. So he's uh, he's a guy that I want to see against the Ottawa younger O line in Ottawa. But I think one of the things that we haven't talked about much is the teams that have had to play in Saskatchewan. You're playing in silent count. You know that's a tough place to play in. And when you look at in Winnipeg, those teams that have had to go in there too, those are two tough places where the home team got out and there's just so much energy in the place. And it's a yeah. tough place to operate as an offense, you know? So I'm thinking Ottawa having a younger, younger offensive line that's going to be forced to, to work in, in that environment. Then I think Saskatchewan D, D line should have a, a pretty good game. And that's going to be the, the biggest one to watch specifically, I'm going to be focused in on Mac Henry. That's uh, he's really popped off me this year. I've always known Mac was the uh, high energy, you know, bringing the wood every single play, but he's, uh, he's getting in the backfield and, and then finishing, you know, you see him making a lot more tackles and not just getting in and, you know, the ball's kind of running up the field anymore. He's, he's really kind of making the next step and making some plays, I think. And he's uh He's been fun to watch. I think he's been one of the the biggest improvements or biggest uh, surprises, I guess I would say it would be uh, Mac Henry. And on the D line, he's uh, he's outperforming what I thought he would, to be honest. So that's yeah. uh, that's who I'll be watching. But what do you got? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, Ottawa's Ottawa's offense needs needs a better showing. Um, Sass is just, yeah, outside of Winnipeg, that's probably the only other team that's just pretty strong in, in a lot of phases, man. I think their offense is doing well. Like I said, offensive line improved. Um, their defensive line is just getting after cats. Like, first two weeks, they're just, they're getting after cats. AC, Micah, yeah. uh, um, Mac, um, and even they had the rookie, 
uh, he had three sacks against three sacks. Like, like, what? You look like the next coming of Cam Wake. (laughs) But, um, yeah, their, their defensive line, they're just, they're just getting after people right now. I mean, I mean, I kind of, I predicted it before the season started. This was going to be the year the defense was going to be the year the defensive line. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, like I said, we want to highlight the offensive line guys right now. It's just it's not too many of them to highlight right now. So the only thing we can do is just give tidbits on how to, those guys can get better. Hopefully, um, you know, they're making some improvements. Uh, I'm interested to see how Ottawa offensive line shows. Um, they didn't look they didn't look great against Edmonton. They got they gave them five sacks to, against Edmonton's D line. So um, if you're giving them five sacks against Edmonton's D line, then oh mama. Yeah, Sass is in is in order for about eight, nine, ten <laughs> as a yeah, unit. I mean, so <laughs> yeah, when you're putting in that crowd noise and that energy and the get off of some of the Sass D line, I mean that's uh, it could be a long yeah, man. Yeah, it could be. It could be. They could run rough out of Ottawa. So yeah, I'm going Sass, man. Um, if if I had to pick a matchup, you know, I guess it would be, um, you know, everybody in a sense. I think you know those two DNs. Let's see if let's see if AC he had two sacks last week. Another dude had three sacks. Let's see if you know they can do those same numbers against um, similar type of offensive line like they played against a Hamilton. So um, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Well, um, that's it for us this week, folks. Um, appreciate you guys tuning into the trap. Uh, love love the feedback you guys are giving. Um, a lot of people who are listening to the show are really enjoying what they're hearing. Uh, me and B are going to kind of keep trying to give you guys a nice insight to what his life is like in the trenches, um, throwing out some tidbits, you know, things, best practices, whatever stuff. We're going to try to keep pumping out this content for y'all. I think next week we'll probably get into having our first guest on the show. Um, got a couple of, a lot of guys are reaching out to us to want to come on and, and talk some, talk some stuff. Um, I spoke to Dougie today too. Dougie oh, yeah. said, he, Dougie said he wants to pull up. So oh, yeah, 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 man. So it's a lot. It's a lot of guys across the league, man. I mean, I, I appreciate everybody who's listening, tuning in, supporting it, spread the word, trying to put out as much content as we can in different fashions. We're on YouTube, so check us out. You get to watch the video on YouTube. We're on, um, we're on Anchor, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcast should be coming soon. Um, we're on Breaker. We're on, we're on a lot of a lot of different a lot of podcast uh, platforms. Google Podcasts. We're on there as well. So you know whatever streaming service you like to use to listen to us, check us out. Uh, give us some feedback. Any things you want to talk about? Any stories you want to hear? Any topics you want us to cover? Please, you know, let us know. We love to interact with the people. Um, again, you can catch me on Twitter at six bone six bone crusher three. Uh, Instagram six bone crusher four. Catch Big B on on Twitter at uh, the Brendan Labat. You know we gotta give we gotta give you a new nickname, kind of something like Prince, a little one word. You gotta you gotta change it to Blue. Add Blue. blue. <laughs> yeah. No matter of fact, then I lose let I me, lose my check. Let mark. me close up. No, no, I don't think you would. No, you might you would on Twitter. You would yeah, lose the check mark. Yeah. yeah, all right, we'll leave it alone. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you this real quick because I don't remember if I asked you this before. But how did you get the nickname Blue? Oh, uh, Labatt Blue, it's a beer up here. So actually it, at the old Canada Inn Stadium, so right of Polo Park Mall, there used to be a, the stadium there. And then there was a beer store, Canada Inn Hotel, and that's where we would stay. And on the side of the beer store, they always had like some Blue Bomber colors and it was Labatt Blue, the beer, and then Labatt and Blue. And that's oh. what we gave them the first year. 
and then everybody started from the uh what movie is it old school where everybody yells yeah blue you're my boy blue yeah my boy blue man (laughs) odell willis nonstop. he was nonstop. blue you're my boy blue nonstop. (laughs) odell willis what you talking about willis <laughs> man, shout out to Odell, man. Unfortunately, yeah. he got cut by Toronto, man. But I know he just had a, had a young kid. Shout out to Odell. That's my guy. I'd be speaking to him too. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's it for us this week on the trap. Again, follow us on everything. Listen, um, give us some feedback. Uh, we're gonna keep pumping our content. I may go live, uh, do some live streaming for the games if B's not busy on the farm or or taking a family vacation this weekend. I know you've been enjoying your summer. Uh, we're gonna try to do a live stream for one of these games. I guess we'll pick a pick a pick a game of the week. We'll start picking a game of the week. Start doing some live streams during the game. Let some fans tune in, uh, talk some stuff with us. We'll talk about the games live as we're watching it, so we can make comments on who's doing what, who's getting who's getting it, all that stuff. Uh, but again, appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll see y'all next week. Well, I'm out.